welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy, a podcast that looks at the inspiration, intention, action, and choices that you can make to bring more joy into your life, into the world, and into other people's lives. This is your host, Paula Jenkins. Welcome to episode 233 and this week's three joyful things here on Jumpstart Your Joy. I want to give you all a very warm welcome. Thanks so much for tuning in on this Thursday. As you know, this episode is a follow-up about the aha moments that I've had during the conversation with the interview this week, which was with Susie Solaviv of Your Sacred Record. She is a narrative coach and she helps people find the exciting through lines and story that makes them unique and that they can then use in their marketing copy because this month is also the joy of marketing month here on Jumpstart Your Joy. Each Thursday, I get to dive in a little bit further and share my thoughts with you about how you can unpack and take inspiration intention and action from the conversation that I've had with a guest this week. And so, of course, these Thursday episodes are inspired by what used to be my newsletter, which is also entitled Three Joyful Things and comes out on Thursday. And I thought it would be fun to share these with you on the podcast. So you get the immediate follow up if you're a subscriber, and you can follow along with what is delighting me the most with each of these conversations that I'm having. So this week, it was such a treat to get to talk to Susie because she has so many interesting ideas around how you can approach marketing. And the thing that is standing out for me truly this whole month is that marketing, while lots of people think that it is a business activity, of course, is also something that is a through line in our lives. Whether we're talking about our own bio on LinkedIn or we're talking about how it is that we present ourselves in the workplace, each of us is doing some sort of marketing I would argue, every day. And so that's a big takeaway for me. Specifically around this conversation that I had with Susie, there was a moment that we started talking about how it's common in Western society for the first question that we ask someone when we first meet them is, what kind of work do you do? Or what do you do for work? And I think most of us, <laughs> no matter who we are, find this question to be a little bit weird, right? It feels a little bit like we're getting challenged or sized up in some way. And it's a very strange thing to lead with. One of the interesting things that Susie points out about this is it's not a common question for someone to ask in Europe at all. In fact, the French, I did a little research on this, are more likely to ask, where is it that you vacation? And what are your hobbies? Before they will ask what someone does for a living. Because they don't necessarily see that as being an indicator of who the true interior person is. And so they ask a question that's kind of an introduction, but also gets to the heart of the juicy heart of who someone is. I also find that when somebody's asked, what kind of work do you do? Or if I'm the one that's asked it, it's hard to pivot into a meaningful conversation from there because I don't know about you, but I often don't know what to say if I don't have any experience in the field that the person brings up. And so I end up going to some kind of direction like, oh, and do you like that work? You know, it's another uh, surface level question. And after that, it's kind of into that awkward, we're looking at each other's space. The truth is that the same kind of thing happens when somebody comes to your website or your resume or whatever and is looking for the information about who you are, whether that be for a business, so it'd be the bio on your website or 
or your description of what your business offers. Or this could be in your personal life when you create a LinkedIn bio or a description of your career or what it is that you do on your resume. So one of the things that Susie and I dig into this week is when we know that we all have a bit of a, we love to ask this question, but we hate to answer this question relationship with what is it that you do? Well, how do we turn that question and that bit of copywriting that can go around the question into something that is joyful and easy and fun and intriguing and kind of is a conversation starter instead of it just being this, oh, I'm a scientist. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with it, but it just doesn't seem to go any further than there. How can you write about yourself and your business in a way that's interesting and captivating and feels true to who you are and what you do? So my aha moment came this week when Susie started talking about why we all tend to default to writing a bio that focuses on the accolades, the degrees, and the awards that each of us has. And it's because of this. It's because those are the easy things to say about yourself. They're the parts of yourself that are equated to external validation. It is safe and easy to share these things because someone has already bestowed these things upon you. And that's not to say that you haven't worked hard for them. I'm not disqualifying any of that, of course. I'm just saying they're easier to share because they're already an external identifier for you and somebody else has already said them about you. The interesting thing, though, is that these external accolades and distinctions don't really say that much about who you are at the core or the heart of you or why someone would pick you as a person with unique distinct qualities to work with or employ or work with as a freelancer. Like there's, yeah, they kind of get a sense of the outlier of where you sit on a map, but they don't know what the details are or the Rick Steves version of (laughs) why they'd visit you if you were a city. (laughs) What really lit me up is this idea that we can let go of the need to prove to anyone that you're qualified or that you need to share your accolades. The step here is that you can embrace embrace that you already are enough, that you already have what it takes, and that you've likely been doing this thing that you like for a long time and maybe doing it in different ways that don't necessarily even show up on your resume as it stands right now. Susie even makes reference of one story about a client that she's worked with who is a writer and a very talented writer. But when you ask her what it is that she does, her first answer is that she's a stay-at-home mom. And it is only after a little bit of teasing out that she also shares she has been doing the work of writing after hours for years, and she loves it. But it isn't the first thing that she identifies for herself just because it's not the thing that other people can relate to. And I want to give you permission right now that if you're doing something after hours or you're doing something on the side, you're still doing it and it counts. (laughs) Another proof in point is that Susie and I both talk about how we found our first clients and our stories were really remarkably similar. Both of our first clients were people that we had known and people we'd known actually for a long time who asked us to get on a call to talk about that we both respectively loved. For Susie, this was writing, and for me, it was podcasting. Neither of us went into these phone calls thinking that they were a sales call. We thought that these were like kind of an informational interview, and we both laughed on those calls. We were totally ourselves, and we shared the wholeness of who we are with these people who were at the other end of the line. And then 
we both got asked separately, different days, to help the person with our respective craft. Now, if you'll notice, the thing that didn't happen is neither of these calls started with, where did you go to school? What are your degrees in? You know, do you, do you have the chops? It started with people wanting to have a relationship with somebody that they liked. They could see the value of working with somebody that they liked and knowing just by the fact that this is something that we both do, that we have the chops. We didn't have to prove ourselves, in other words. We just had to be ourselves. And this led to the aha moment that I had in this week's interview with Susie. And it's this. We often hide the vulnerable and more interesting and more relatable parts of ourselves because it's far easier to list the external markers of achievement like our degrees, our certifications, our GPA, and our past employers. When we list those external markers, we get head pats and we can be categorized by other. It's also easier for us to talk about these things because they are titles and things that were bestowed upon us by people other than ourselves. Somebody's already said, oh, yeah, you you have a religious studies degree. You know what you're talking about. I didn't give that to myself. Somebody else gave it to me. So it feels more comfortable and easy for me to talk about it. The flip of that is when we list our personal hopes and dreams, when we tell our vulnerable story, when we share our truth, we are opening ourselves up to the unknown. And that is scary as all get out. Because when you share your heart, you're putting a little part of yourself out there. And as a society, we don't really have an example of how a heart overhead way of introducing ourselves works. And whether that be in that conversation like I was talking about at the first of this, or whether that be on paper or on a website, people don't really understand how to work through that heart, meaning the core of who you are, what you love to do, overhead, head being the academic, checklist loving, kind of check it off and get it done side of yourself. And I've, I've struggled with this for years, quite honestly, is especially moving into being an entrepreneur, it was a really big jump for me to go from this very head-centered academic space of being a planner and a project manager into a more heart-centered place where I can share who I am and what I love and what it means to me. And I've seen it firsthand. We don't really know how to talk about that side of ourselves because it feels so risky and vulnerable. So the inspiration this week is to look at your life from a place of wonder. If you drop the accolades and the list of things that you've accomplished, which are all amazing, by the way, I'm not asking anyone to turn away from the things that they've accomplished or shy away from sharing the accolades that they've received. I'm just encouraging that there is another way and another thing to consider here. If you drop those external markers of what you have accomplished, how would you introduce yourself to someone else? What would you say your story or your narrative or your through line is to them? If you look at what you love and what lights you up, how do you define yourself? The intention here, if I'm playing along or, or you could say these words to yourself, is I will start to notice how I see myself. I will notice when I identify with the accolades and the degrees and the external markers, or even when I'm desiring those kinds of external markers so that I can associate myself with them. And I will also notice when I see myself as the things I'm passionate about and that bring me joy. I will look for and uncover those things meaning the things that bring me joy, if I can't seem to remember what they are. So the intention here is that you're going 
to very mindfully start to notice when you are aligning your personality and what defines you with those external markers. So if you find yourself in a social situation and you start to introduce yourself as, hi, I'm Paula, I'm a podcaster, or I've been a project manager for 20 years, if that's the first thing that comes out, catch yourself in that moment and offer a different version of that that's closer to the thing that lights you up and that brings you joy. And when you notice that you're doing it, offer yourself the course correction. It's a process like anything else. Here's the action. And again, I got some great feedback from you guys this last week about loving these really specific things that you can do that make a difference in your life. Last week was go take a personality test. You can listen back to episode 231 if you wanna hear about that. This week, I've got a little kind of exercise for you that you're gonna wanna do this when you're not driving. (laughs) So these questions and the layout for this will be in the show notes, which you can refer back to at any time. Just look in your app if you're on a podcasting app. So on a sheet of paper, I want you to take five minutes or so, maybe 10. And you're gonna list out the top five things that you loved doing and being and playing with or whatever it is in these age ranges. We're gonna go through different stages of your life up to now and I want you to think back and remember the things that you loved most about that age. So there's five brackets and you're gonna list out five things each in those. So the first age bracket is ages one through five your earliest memories. What were the top five things that you loved doing and being in that age? The second age bracket is ages five to 10, so early elementary school. Again, top five things you love doing. The third age bracket is ages 10 to 20, so about middle school and high school. Top five things you love doing and being. And then the fourth bracket is ages 20 through 30. And I'm roughly calling this college or what you first did out of high school, the firsts of all of the adulting ages, right? Like you probably got a car, maybe you got a home, like that age where there's a lot where you're on your own usually, ages 20 through 30. What were your top five things that you did in that age range? And then The fifth is 30 and after, and this would be adult life and all of its shifts. So you're gonna list the top five things. Now, I I wanna be really transparent. If you are 60 or 70 and listening, please feel free to add some extra ones in there. You might have six or seven brackets, kind of depending on how you see your life and where there were major milestones. I'm not suggesting that life remains static after the age of 30. That's not it at all. It's just kind of the framework here. And you might also add something that has to do with milestones, like life after having a child. It depends on who you are. The first few ones are good, and then you can add 30 and after as you like. After you finish this exercise, I want you to look for some patterns. You know, get, let this thing sit for a few minutes and then look for the patterns that you see emerging that brought you joy and that you love doing in each of those different age groups. Maybe you'll see that interacting with people was a major part of your life. Maybe it was about planning and leading or there was something about creativity that stood out to you. I want you to look at your current life whatever it looks like today, and see if the major through lines that you saw back through your history, are they still present? 
Because those major through lines, if you, like me, back when I did this same exercise, I saw that there was dramatic arts, so plays and improv and singing and being in front of an audience was something that I really loved and it really lit me up. And at the time that I did it, I actually was doing nothing in dramatic arts at all, which was crazy. <laughs> because I'm a, look at who I am now. Obviously, this was several years ago. But it made it very clear to me that I wanted to go back to doing something that I had loved so much in many phases of my life and that was no longer here. So that kind of storytelling and, and piece is inherent to who I am. You will also probably see a narrative or a story, something that you love that is a through line in your life. Now, a couple other things you could try here. One, if you don't see this thing showing up in your life currently, you have your homework, your next thing to go do is find something related to that. That's the adult version of it that you can go do, start doing right now, this week. Go do it. Go find it. Go find the class. Go sign up for it, whatever. You will find more joy once you've enacted that in your life. Now, if you're looking at this from a marketing perspective, I want you to think about that thing. And if it's for me, it's like performance or whatever. How can I craft a new bio or a new description of myself that involves what I have just found out? How can you craft a new bio or a new description of yourself that involves what you just found out in that through line? Does that inform something new about how you would write this copy? And would you consider the next time you're asked at a party or you meet a new parent or something, what is it that you do? You know, you can change your answer to be something so much closer to this thing that you love. Now I find myself saying, well, I produce podcasts and help people find their story and share it with others. And I'll tell you that there's a much more interesting <laughs> look and response that I get when I share that than I'm a producer. Like that doesn't mean anything to them and most people can't understand it. But it's an opening to a conversation and I think that's a lovely way to meet someone and share a first moment with them. So I would love to hear what you have discovered and answer any questions that you might have about this process. You can email me directly at jumpstartyourjoy at gmail.com. I welcome that and I will respond back to you. Also, if you like what you hear, there are two ways to get these top secret episodes directly to you each week because I'm not releasing them on the website right away and you'll have to wait if that's where you're currently going to tune in to the podcast. So there's two things. The first way that you could get these episodes each Thursday right away on your mobile device is to head on over to any place that you find podcasts. That's Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Player FM, <laughs> iHeartRadio, and look for Jumpstart Your Joy. You'll want to hit the subscribe button. Subscription to podcasts are free. All that it means is that it's going to send those episodes to your phone each and every time there's a new one released and you won't even have to look for it. And then you can just hit play and listen <laughs> right there in your car on the way to work. That's one way. So go, go subscribe. If you do subscribe, please leave a rating and review. It means a lot to me and it really helps other people find the show. The other way that you can get these episodes sent directly to you is if you want to sign up for the newsletter. If you prefer to read these, that's your option. And you can just go right to jumpstartyourjoy.com. On the front page, there's a button that says sign up for a three joyful things newsletter. 
Hit that, enter your information, and you will start to get the written version of these episodes with a link over to the audio if that's your preferred method. But every week you will get those on a Thursday sent right to your inbox. So I hope that you will sign up and subscribe and I would love to hear from you. And I hope that you'll come back next week when I'm doing a solo cast all about the joy of marketing from my perspective and six things that you can do to make marketing easier for you if you are an entrepreneur. So I hope you'll come on back for that episode. And until then, I hope that your days are filled with so much joy.